What's up everybody and welcome to B2B Made Simple. If you're passionate about marketing, you're in the right place. Whether you're doing marketing for a brand new startup or a $100 million enterprise, you'll learn strategies that'll help you build a solid team, impact your pipeline, and look like an absolute rock star to upper management. Why? Because these guys are the pros. They're not pretending to know the industry, they're in the trenches on a daily basis. My name is Sam Moss. I'm the co-founder of One Click Agency. We build websites for B2B companies, and I'm also the co-host of this podcast. If your goal is to become the marketer everyone else looks up to, keep listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple once again. Uh, my special guest today is Vivek Nanda, um, the VP of Marketing at Jorsic Incorporated. Vivek, uh, it's good to have you here. Well, it's my pleasure, Sam. Excited about it. Yeah. Um, I always like to start the show getting a little bit of background on my guest. So tell us kind of what got you into the marketing world. Um, maybe tell us the size of your team, what you have going on. Um, you want to start off, start off with that? Sure. Absolutely. So I am VP of marketing at Jorsec and, uh, the team right now, it's, a, it's an early stage startup. We are still in pre-seed funded. It was mostly bootstrap for a long time. And then they hired really the sales and marketing leader to scale it. So we are kind of like the go-to-market team foundation. Yeah. And I started, I started working there December 2019. We are five people right now. Uh, marketing is actually my second career. I started my career in tech as a programmer. And for almost the first decade, I worked in several roles within Verizon and Oracle, the big companies. Mm -hmm. And then one of my mentors, he built a company out of Silicon Valley and he built an e-learning app. And I said, okay, I'll help you out spreading the word. And I did some blog posts for him and that got a lot of downloads in first week. And then I was like, woo, this worked, whatever yeah. that was. So basically from there on, I got sucked into marketing more and more and eventually shifted to it completely. So over the last decade, I've been working and growing early stage companies. I actually came to the US from Berlin, Germany, uh, while launching a health tech startup uh, here six years ago. And mm -hmm. I was born and raised in India. So there was a journey to start startup career in Germany and from Germany to US. And yeah, last 10 years, it's all been uh, growth. Uh, early stage growth companies in marketing. So, yep, that's my background. That's cool. So it was almost like not accidental that you ended up in marketing, but sort of, I guess, right? <laughs> sort of, yes. It's a, it's. I think uh, the pull was uh, one day when my manager told me to spread the word, which was more like I was. I thought I was doing product marketing. Uh -huh. I was like, yeah, product management, product marketing, great. Let me research and write a blog post about it. And that got mm -hmm. picked up. And I was like, I don't know what happened. I just learned <laughs> it. And that's that was the pull, really. That's cool. Very cool. Um, awesome. Well, let's hop into this agenda today. Uh, the main concept is that leads really should not be a success metric when it comes to B2B marketing. Um, I think a lot of companies still think they are, whether it's the MQL, um, yeah. moving into the SQL, whatever it is down the, down the line. Um, so can you start us off by just sharing um, why shouldn't leads be looked at as a success metric in B2B marketing? Sure. So 
So let me tell a little story here. I think that will clear up a lot of stuff. So imagine it's 1995 and there's no Google, no Twitter, no Facebook. Primary mode of advertisement is print, TV, billboards, radio, right? So this means people will read about you in a magazine and come to your website. Mm -hmm. Now that's a lot of friction. But on the flip side, they would only come to you if they truly ready to buy, right? Mm -hmm. So now 15 years down the line, we've got Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Spotify, you name it, everything. So now the pool of people got broader and what the evolution of advertising platform has done that we are now capturing leads on a broader scale who are in different part of buying journey. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are capturing more leads, but they're in different part of buying journey. So what eventually has happened is the definition of lead has evolved with the tech technology. So, and not only that, even think of a channel, how we acquire them. Uh, ebook legion ad on Facebook is different from a demo request on your website, right? So Because both are a lead. <laughs> both are a lead, but yeah. the intents are completely different. Mm-hmm. And now because there are different buying journeys for the lead and the definition, the definition of leads have evolved. So why not, why not how we look at them should not change? I think, yeah, it should change. And that's, that's why I say that it's no more a success metric. Mm-hmm. Um, so can we look at them as a success metric if the leads are good and the intent is high? For example, the, the demo request that you brought up, can that change the yeah, trajectory so, there? Yeah, I mean, so the best way to look at it is at bare minimal, you should bifurcate your funnel and at least try to categorize all leads into two categories, low mm-hmm. intent, high intent, Low intent is webinar, conference, ebook downloads, blog subscribers, and high intent is demo requests, talk to sales, or even your your trial accounts. So this will build better predictability. But rather than looking at leads as success metric, we should look them as operational metric for the for the marketing team. So like sales reps do a great job of activities of hitting phones and emails each day and that helps them build a reliable pipeline and that's their operational metric right so likewise i say that leads are more for marketing especially in b2b it's operational metric and your success metric should be something further down the line and i always say this if given a choice if somebody asks me improve conversion for acquiring leads versus improve conversion from leads to qualified opportunities created I would always pick the latter because that's closer to the revenue. It's getting us more revenue there. So yeah, that's, that's my thinking behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if leads aren't a success metric, uh, what would you measure instead? Because I know executives want to measure it, marketing in some way and marketers. I mean, we want to measure stuff. Uh, would it be revenue? Yeah. So I think there are, uh, I think there are, two, three metrics that you want to combine there because you always want to give marketing something which is a leading indicator. So in that case, you want to have qualified pipeline, mm-hmm. which should be your metric that you can trace week over week. And which is, uh, you know, even though the sales cycle is bigger, but you know, the opportunity is converted even for the nine month sales cycle. For example, my company, we have bigger sales cycles, nine months, but our 
window of lead to opportunity conversion is like within two weeks. That happens within two weeks. So that is a leading indicator, the qualified pipeline. That is your number one leading indicator. And then you should also have the lagging indicator, which is of course the revenue. And within revenue, I also like to split it in two way. One is your direct inbound driven, marketing driven revenue. And the other one is your total sales combined total revenue where you influence it, but not directly as you did for the inbound revenue. So that's three things together basically makes it, you know, your success metrics. That's what you're chasing for. That's what you can trace on weekly basis versus quarterly, monthly basis. Mm -hmm. Um, Break down how you're sending your leads to your sales team, because I've heard a couple of different examples. So you you said you're segmenting your intent from high to low. So you have yeah. the two, right? Um, yeah. Do you, I've heard of a, a company gave me this example. Uh, mm-hmm. They send all their high intent leads to sales, right? The demo requests, whatever it is yeah. you label as high intent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then if let's say they run out or the month isn't quite over yet and you haven't hit your lead quota, I guess is what they might be looking for. Do you mm-hmm. then start saying, Hey, look, we're through all our high intent leads. Here's some of the lower ones. And you can start hammering away at these. So they're aware, or do you not send them at all and wait for the intent to grow? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So for us, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it has evolved. It's also based on how big is your sales team. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, when we did not have uh, SDR, then at that time, uh, we, basically did not push any of the low intent leads to sales at all. So mm-hmm. it was just high intent leads, sales takes it. And if and it's their choice afterwards to dig through the data and pick up, for example, uh, you know, we created like within the low intent lead, what's like the top layer where if you want to do your prospecting, for example, people who have watched more or three, three or more webinars is better than someone mm. who's just like ebook download right yeah so even that you can segment it further but i think once you build this engine of low and high and then you can place your sdr for really the low intent ones and within that also you want to subsegment sort of like i explained the webinar who watched more uh episode and more engagement in terms of email opens and your uh, you know, content interactions is more, then you give those to SDRs and rest of it is nurturing on its own and high intent always goes to the reps directly and mm-hmm. they work through and they close them faster because it's already high intent. So they are basically picking up the momentum. And also it's important to take care of buyer experience, right? Like it's like, you don't want those need to go through again, put, pull them back again. And like an SDR or something. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they came to your website, booked the demo because they really want to talk to a rep. Mm-hmm. Now, what's yeah. the point of having an SDR? So that's how we do it. We sort of like do low and high intent. High intent goes everything to the reps directly. Mm-hmm. Low intent, we subsegment it. We take the top uh, based on our ICPs, even target personas and segmentation. We do it within that. And that list goes to SDR and SDR mm-hmm. then forward to reps. Interesting. So you, you split everything right off the bat to sales. Um, so you send your high intent to like example of an AE or whatever, and then yeah. lower intent yeah, but, to some of the SDRs. Yeah. But let me, let me clarify one thing though. However, passing lead to the rep, even if they're mm-hmm. passed, we, they are still lead until unless sales does a qualification call and oh, they say mm-hmm. like, it's truly moving forward. Only mm-hmm. then the op is created. Otherwise it's still a lead. 
it goes out from there itself. And so that it's like the opportunity that's really created is a true opportunity. It's not just like MQL again, right? If you mm-hmm. want to be more towards SQL, right? Yeah. So so that's how it works for us. We That's how I think we are able to cut down a lot of like basically keep quality across the our sales funnel. And that's why it gives us better control and predictability, like what's really converting. And from there, it's going in the sales funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, so besides eliminating uh, crappy leads getting sent to the sales team, what are some ways that you create sales alignment uh, with with your sales department? Yeah, so so my team probably heard this say me a million times. I would say it here as well, that I think, first of all, sales and marketing alignment is a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, how saver the world looks at it, uh, I think this B2B SaaS companies have to really say that, that and value that and build that, that infrastructure. And I always tell that, uh, that uh, sales and marketing in this world, if not twin brother and sister, they have to be like, really like, you know, even before that, they need to be from a previous relationship. That's how close they have to work. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because, uh, you know, that's how the world is working. We work, we, the whole job of marketing is to enable sales. And as far as alignment comes, I think there are top three examples. So I'll start, it starts at the top. Really, the CEO founder needs to make sure that sales and marketing leaders are aligned. And why his role is so important is because I worked with founders who just thought these are two completely different functions. And he didn't even like invite people in the same room at the time they should be. So it really starts from the top, making sure sales and marketing works together. They are together in everything GTM related, go-to-market strategies are formed with both the leaders there. And that's really CEO's, CEO's job, making sure there's that alignment. Number two is then comes these leaders. They have to make sure there's synergies between both the teams, they feel comfortable asking questions, asking help. Basically, they should work as the same team, but the leaders make it happen, right? Because they tell their team, yeah, you know, you're doing closing, business is your sales, of course, and getting, you know, pipeline and supporting sales marketing, but you still need to work together. And that's what the leaders make it happen. And then comes third thing, which is marketing leaders job to articulate and emphasize that marketing's sole role is to make sales easy. Mm-hmm. Your customer is first sales, then the outside world. And that's how marketing has to treat. And this is the philosophy I work really hard with my team. We are always available for our sales team. And we make sure that every sales team feels that they can ask us anything. If there's a deal that got stuck, just call us in and say, like, hey, you know, what should I send them? Or what we do those kind of brainstormings. We create more like, hey, I have this enterprise deal. I am done with the demo. There was a whole committee and there are seven people. These these are their personas. And this guy actually spoke to me and he's the champion. And then we brainstorm like how to engage with those seven because deals take time. And we need mm-hmm. to engage. If, if one is gone, then how do you do it? And this is where marketing needs to proactively help sales. And that's very important for sales and alignment. So I think these, like the three core things, starting from the top, right to the leaders, it's, uh, that's what drives the true alignment. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you started at Jorsic, is was that alignment something that was there? Um, remind me, how long have you been with Jorsic? So it, it's been since the beginning of the startup or? 
No, I've been for last 16 months when they started to build more commercial, okay. commercialized product. Yeah. Um, was that alignment there or did you bring that philosophy with you? Well, uh, to be honest, there was, uh, uh, there was, there was very broken process and system. Mm. So, uh, it, uh, it actually came more so with when I joined and also the VP of sales who started there, unfortunately, the VP of sales, uh, uh, wasn't able to deliver it as much. So we then, uh, hired a more senior sales leader recently, a CRO. And now it's like, all we work together is really making sure that this alignment is there. I mean, it takes time because it's a mindset team, a mindset change for the sales, both marketing team, the existing team was already given to me. So, uh, so but I think now we are in this uh, nice momentum where we are like together as very strongly aligned Again, mm-hmm. I keep saying the twin brother and sisters from the past relationship. It's a good example. It's a good example. <laughs> how close we work, and that's and that's that's why uh, you know I would say like uh, our 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 matrices are now pointing very much. The pipe, the leading indicators are now very much pointing not exactly where we want to be. So mm-hmm. so yeah, so that's how it's working now. Awesome. Um, to close us out, I, we started doing this at the end of podcasts just to mix things up a little bit. Um, it's where we reverse roles. And if you have any questions that you want to ask me and pretend like you're the podcast host for a bit, um, pick my brain. Um, is there anything that comes to mind for you? Yes. And, and especially with your background, I think this is a question, something in my organization, we are speculating about it and thinking about it. And I think you are the perfect person to really ask this question. Uh, somebody who has experience with B2B company websites. So I want to pick your brain on the About Us page on B2B company's website. Well, the question is, should we have an About Us page? And if so, what should we have on the company's About Us page? And I would also add one more thing here. So we sell in enterprise companies. And our challenge is always feeling that even if we will tell, shall we tell the more the tech story or personal story? The problem with the telling personal stories is, or at least that's what we felt that it feels like we are such a small startup and we are catering to then enterprise companies and, uh, and tech stories are not personal enough. Yeah. So, so, so how do we create that balance where we can still look, you know, capable and big enough to handle their business. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's up to you. Yeah. Um, as for if your company should have an about page, um, I do believe in them and I think they can be powerful when they're done right. Um, for example, I know we're not a B2B SaaS company, uh, but our about page is the second highest clicked page on our website oh, wow. um, next to the homepage. Um, which is a shock to me when I got into Google Analytics and actually looked around. It seems like everybody goes there um, because people are looking for that personal connection, even in the enterprise space, what is what I would argue for you. Um, Mm -hmm. As for what you can put on your about page, there's a couple of different directions you can go. Um, Today, I was talking to a a B2B SaaS startup and they, their founder, um, they do like wire transfer security So basically like insurance on the wire transfer. And I guess years ago he got hacked or conned out of tens of thousands of dollars because of a wire transfer. 
And he built his startup around that pain point so that it doesn't happen to other people. I think that is a great marketing hook to stick right in the about section. Basically, it's showing them, hey, we didn't start this up for the sake of starting it up. Our founder actually went through the exact pain that we are trying to avoid for you or maybe that you've already been through. Um, so I right. think that's a, an amazing play. Um, so highlighting the founder story in, in that way. Um, the biggest thing you want to watch out for is trying not to make yourself the hero of the about page. Like, hey, we were founded in 1999 and we've built it into this because of this. Um, it really should always point back to the success of your customer. So frame it in a way that it does that. Um, as for like looking bigger than you are for um, like an enterprise, you know, I, I understand like the struggle behind it. And I don't know if it really directly correlates to like your about page, but one thing you want to watch out for is overdoing it with the copy on the website. So whether that's right. the industry lingo you use just to make yourself sound smarter than you are um, is a trap I see companies fall into like a startup, for example, trying to sound bigger than they actually are. So that's something you want to stay away from. Um, as for looking more credible to an enterprise, um, I mean, you can start with a podcast or even LinkedIn content. I mean, yeah. I'm sure one of the executives in your company can start posting things to generate organic growth in that way, or even hop on a podcast. I think that that goes a long way when it comes to um, putting a stake in the ground of, hey, we are an industry expert um, and you can trust us. I think that it goes a lot further than you might think. Oh, that's uh, that's very good advice. I would say that a few days ago, I was uh, at, I don't know, some conference and um, uh, there was a mention by a gentleman there that when I'm at companies about a page, I know companies want to connect to the customers more but I really want to know you about yeah. you. That's why I'm going to about us page. Mm -hmm. So, and that, that kind of where before that I was more about what exactly you said, like make it more about like, you know, someone connect to the customers. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but when he said that it really kind of like derailed me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> process like, all right. So uh, that's why this is such a, such an interesting conversation. So uh, I think what you're saying is, Yes, mention about your personal story, but also make sure it's connecting to the customer. That's kind of what you're going about, it, right? Yeah, I, if you can strike a balance between the two, I yeah. would think that would be the best route to go. Um, for example, the the company that I brought up, the the wire transferring. I yeah. mean, that's that's touching on the founder story, and it's also like pointing it back to, hey, this is how we want to help you. This is how we want to make you the hero instead of us, because we've been through this. We're going to guide uh, you to to win here. Um, I think that would be a, an example of a balance because I definitely see where you're coming from. I mean, when I go to yeah. a company website, I want to see, okay, this this looks like corporate America. Who am I talking to? Who am I going to get on the phone? Or or how big is this company? Um, and I think that's why probably why our about page is the way it is because they're curious to know who they're going to be working with. Um, and I think it's just human nature. So definitely a great point there. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. I think that was, yeah. uh, that was a great answer. Awesome. Awesome. Um, well, to close us out, um, why don't you give us like the elevator pitch or a minute or two about what Jorsic Incorporated is and what you actually do? Yeah, absolutely. So we are an enterprise content platform 
used by technical writers, knowledge management and content ops teams to build scalable and engaging digital experiences for our customers and employees. Put simply, the use cases that we cover is you create a customer self-service portal, uh, internal knowledge bases, uh, product documentation, learning and training content, something like HubSpot Academy, and support chatbot and so on. So that's kind of where we play in. Mostly anytime a company that has multiple products or multiple locations or multiple markets they are serving, that's where we come into play because the complexity of content becomes bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Vivek, uh, it's been good having you here, man. Uh, Appreciate you coming on to talk about how we need to stop sending crappy leads first and foremost, stop measuring that. That's not, that's not success when it comes to marketing. And I think people are starting to wake up to that um, a little bit more in B2B marketing. So well, I, I think you, you uh, definitely push uh, that ship forward for sure. Um, so I appreciate you joining me here and uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure having you. It has been my absolute honor and uh, I'm sure uh, for the website, Who's my guy now? <laughs> Thank you, <man. laughs> Hey, you got it, man. All right. Cheers.